Amen. I'm calling today's sermon, which is on the theme, Christ the Son of God, celebrating with the Son. A lot of violence in that gospel lesson, don't you think? Cities burning, people being destroyed. About every other year or so, someone asks me whether the major religious groups of Jesus' day still exist. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes. When the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70, burning it with fire, just as Jesus predicted in today's parable, everything in Jewish society changed. As every wall and fortification fell, the Sadducees, who ran the temple, made their last stand in the temple, which was built like a fortress. But then the Roman fires came, and just as they were about to storm the door and try to batter it in, but were a little bit hesitant because this was the house of the Jewish God, the whole thing fell in from the fire, killing everyone inside. Every one of them was lost. The Romans pursued and crucified the remaining leaders. But Judaism survived in scattered synagogues all over the area because they were protected by a a separate Roman edict. And so the teachers of the law who had escaped and the Pharisees, those we have to this day. They've been preserved for us in synagogues and what are now called temples all over the world. But rejecting the Son of God had led to dire consequence. There was a political cost at very least. The city and their place in it were gone to this day. Jerusalem's been rebuilt, but never the temple. Is it just a history lesson? Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven is like this. For those who reject God's calling and dishonor God's Son, many are called, fewer are chosen. But what does this have to do with us? We're not called to rejoice when the unsaved perish. This isn't just a history lesson, though, and it's not an exercise in Schadenfreude. Well, I've been waiting for years to use that in a sermon, schadenfreude. It means to rejoice in the suffering of others. No. We know where we fit in this parable. We're not the nobles and the dignitaries who were first invited to the, pe- to the feast. We are, well, I've told you before, we are guests of the second invitation. 
the good and the bad gathered when the call went out to all. We had a pastor out in Arizona who was in my circuit when I was in Vegas. He, he's a former cop, and he, he worked in Lake Havasu, and he, wanted, he rode a motorcycle. He had a, he had a Harley at first, and then he got a Goldwing, because when you get older, it's just easier. And he wanted us to get together, and he wanted to come up with a name for our group. We dare not call it a gang. My wife wouldn't let me get a motorcycle. But if we had gotten one together, I wanted to have a motorcycle group called Guests of the Second Invitation. And just get somebody to ask you about that. Think of the doors that that might open. But it's true. Spiritually speaking, we did not live in lofty places when God's calling came to us. Many of us uh, were babies when we were called by God through holy baptism. His invitation found you spiritually homeless in a squat on a shadowed street corner, but he declares you're just as welcome at the banquet as if you'd be the one the paparazzi were following. Now that you're here, you want to act like you know you're in the king's house. The wedding guest who was thrown out, after all, fared no better than those who refused to come in the first place. But we can understand why the king's emotions rang high. Have you ever planned a wedding? I got married. I was a bystander, basically. You know, I was there to balance out the wedding party, I felt. Uh, everything was about the bride, but that was appropriate. It was, it was beautiful. It was her day. I also have a sister. Been married a couple of times. And I have a daughter. She's been married as well. I can't imagine going through all of the planning and all of the expense to put all of that up there and then have nobody even return the invitations. Or better yet, to insult me somehow by, by scribbling things on them and sending them back rudely? After you go through everything where the planning is so far off, it seems unreal, but consumes almost all of your attention, so nothing else seems quite as important as that one evening. Can you imagine if nobody you were invited came? Empty pews, empty tables at the dinner, a band with no one to play to, a gift table basically there, not even a card from these ingrates. Wouldn't you be thinking that if they're not just saying that this affair doesn't matter, but their relationship with you is worthless? Maybe there's just COVID. But now imagine you do have the wedding. And a guest comes to the wedding who gets drunk at the reception, annoys every woman unlucky enough to be within range of his swaying swaggers, and keeps trying to grab the mic from the band to make his own inebriated announcements. You think you're going to view that guest 
with any more charity than you would those who didn't come in the first place? Isn't he at least as much of an insult, uh, an embarrassment as they? It's possible for someone to show as little regard for his host by coming to the festivities and acting as if it's all about him, as if he had never come at all. Well, offending you or me in this way, that would be just plain rude. That would be insulting. But treating a king like that, that's flat stupid. To treat the favor of a king as worthless is more than a simple faux pas. The violence which the king lashes out with is even more understandable when you keep in mind some of his servants were attacked and some of them were killed. This is not social distancing. This is war. Rejection of the king's invitation leads to death. The kingdom of heaven is like this. To choose to go one's own way rather than accept the calling of God is in fact and in practice, to choose death rather than life. Every road that leads away from the heavenly mansion, however varied the scenery, leads to the pit. But you have received the invitation of the king. And through the faith that you've been given in Jesus, your Savior, you are welcome at the heavenly table called, redeemed, a forgiven gift, a gift of the king. And here you are, surrounded by other people whom he has called. God's chosen guests. And while you're sitting there, scan the crowd. And see the others who are here because of God's grace. They're here for the same reason you are. So we can celebrate together. And while you're celebrating, here are a few things for you to remember. Remember that no one here, not even the wealthiest or most respectable, is here because of something they have or something that they did on their own. You didn't do a thing. And what you have, you have only by God's gift. No one here was even aware that a banquet was being prepared until we found ourselves invited. The king was the only one who did anything toward getting you here. And before you got here, you could never have even had a hint of how much it cost to prepare this feast. Remember, too, that while many are invited, not everyone who is invited is here. As I mentioned, among those who are not at the heavenly banquet are the Pharisees to whom this parable is directed. Jesus had just told two parables in which he showed that the Pharisees had rejected God's command. Here he shows they've rejected his invitation as well. There's no way in except by his calling. 
whether it seems fair to us or not. And remember, too, the wedding guest who was thrown out. His coming to the banquet without the proper wedding attire reminds me of every Groucho Marx movie I've ever treasured. Yep, I know some of you are Three Stooges guys. I'm a Marx brother fellow. And if Groucho or the Stooges don't do for you, how about Adam Sandler or Sasha Baron Cole or Will Ferrell? You know the scene. The comedian plays the boor, the oaf, the, the clod at an otherwise fashionable gathering. He has a whole room full of straight men, and the scene usually closes with him seeming to be the only true individual in a whole room of conformists. Well, we'd all like to think of ourselves as that individual, the, the one that stands out, bold enough to be self-determining at least at some extent. Captains of our own destiny, at least some of the time. But which of us would presume to play the fool at the heavenly banquet? Which of us wants to be caught like the guest in the parable, trying to play by our own rules in the house of the king, sticking out from the heavenly post like a, like a Gila monster at a pet show? Who would dare to mock God's calling? To attempt to mock the Son of God at a feast meant to honor him? We know that selfish plans and sinful desires have no place inside the banquet hall. Best to leave them outside. We strive in, instead to live the godly life, to do the good works we know are expected of us, to bear the fruit worthy of repentance. And we don't do those good works because we think that they're going to get us into the room. I mean, how stupid would that be? Imagine. If I'm already in the room. And beating on the door. Let me in! Let me in! What? We're already in the banquet hall. We don't have to go yelling to get in. We don't have to do anything to impress. We're here by the Lord's invitation. Sorry, Alter Guild, I don't think I broke anything, but I didn't turn the light on, so I can't be sure. So we don't do the good works because I think they're going to get us invited. Doing good works doesn't even ensure that we get to stay at the banquet. It's all by God's grace. We know that all of our own righteousness is dirty rags. They're the rags that we were found, on, found in when we were there. But that's not the robe that we've been given. Instead, in our holy baptism, we've been given the robe of righteousness that Jesus wore, that Jesus earned. The works that we are doing are done from a willing spirit. We bring them as thank offerings to God. We hope that they will adorn the table. We're sure that we're already in the, in the mansion and we just want to show that we are happy to be there. 
no other motive for our good works makes any sense at all. And there may be some who, who are here today who are kind of intimidated by the talk of correct attire and acceptable behavior, might worry that they might not have what it takes and expect that at any minute they're going to be exposed as hypocrites and frauds and at the last be bound hand and foot and cast into the darkness. So let me tell you about when I ran out of coffee. I ran out of coffee. And so I told my wife, I'm going to Aldi's. I go to Aldi's a lot. I've got a lot of reasons to go to Aldi's. One is there's no Trader Joe's in Joplin. When we lived in Las Vegas, Karen would call and tell me to pick something up at Albertsons or Vaughn's. I'd go to Trader Joe's instead. It was cool. It was on the way. They had chocolate-covered coffee beans and two-buck chuck wine, and there was never a line. So I'd go to Trader Joe's. <coughs> Second, I'm old and cheap. And when I look around all these, so is pretty much everybody else. And I also love to be surprised by random bargains. But most importantly, they have German roasted coffee and nobody else in town does. Well, amongst the things that I bought was something that they hadn't been able to get into the computer. And so the lady who was checking me out had to punch it in manually and she said, now when you go out, it's going to set off the alarm. But that's all right. You've paid. You've got the receipt. You're good. But when the item's paid for and you have the receipt, you know it belongs to you. You can walk right out of the store with it. And in these days of curbside pickup, it's even easier. You show them that it's meant for you, that you are who you say that you are, and once it's all paid for, the helpful folks will even load it in the back of your truck for you. And it's yours to enjoy. Once it's paid for, it's yours. You have what it takes as truly as if I stood next to you with a whole fistful of $20 bills and paid for the bill right on the spot. So it is with the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, paid the price. Salvation is bought and paid for. It's yours. Drive with it. Well, as I walked toward the door, past those security posts, the alarm sounded. Thief! 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 They seemed to cry. I think they make them sound like that on purpose. Imposter, shoplifter, nasty accusations. But you know what? They were all lies. The price was paid. I had the receipt. This was mine. The kingdom of heaven is like that. A heavenly banquet. A feast for the Son of Man and all of his friends. You belong here brought by the king's own calling, dressed in the robes of his son. Course after course is set before you. You who could never have hoped to finagle an invitation 
to this banquet. Enjoy. Celebrate with the sun. And remember to thank your host, Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.